Alabama lost yesterday. <laughs> Alabama lost yesterday. Praise God. He's a God of miracles. And um, if there's any Alabama fans in the house, we love you too. We're praying for you, but we love you. And um, only playing, only playing. Come on. I'm really excited about this current series that we're in. We're actually going to take it into December. I was planning for this to be the last um, week, and then we were going to go into a a Christmas-themed message in December. And we're still going to get to that towards the end of December. But I just really believe that we need to hover a little bit longer. Is that okay? I just really believe there's things that we need to discuss and some stones that we need to still unturn here that we need to be challenged in and look at our lives. Because we are facing a dilemma. There's a dilemma around us today. And the dilemma is this. Can I engage in this current culture? Can I live with these people? I mean, these neighbors. Can I go to school with these? Can I be around these people, but yet still keep my salvation? Come on, can I still maintain my faith? And that's a dilemma that we have because we're told by the world that we've got to compromise. The world is trying to rename us. The world is trying to claim us. The world is trying to make us to conform. And in a world that's bowing all around us, I believe... Greater than ever, the opportunity that we have to stand. We need to set the culture, not reflect the culture. And we need to be what God has called us to be. And today, I want to talk about worship. Say with me, worship. Worship, worship. Why is worship so important? Because of this reason. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. And the truth is this, we all worship something or someone. And if it's not God first, then what we are doing, we are placing that someone or something in his, God's rightful place. God doesn't mind that we like sports. God doesn't mind that we have hobbies. God doesn't mind that you're on Facebook. God doesn't mind, ladies, that you like to shop at the mall. God doesn't mind those things. God doesn't mind that we have relationships, that we're happy. God doesn't mind all those things, but he does mind when we have those things in the wrong order. You see, those things that are right can be wrong when they're in the wrong order. He says this in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, when he gives the Ten Commandments, he gives the first and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He didn't say you couldn't like sports. He didn't say that you couldn't have hobbies and interests and all those things, but he just said those things need to be in their proper order. You see, the problem is when those things have us. And God wants to have our lives. God wants to be first in our lives. So worshiping anything else first before God is idolatry. We don't want to label it as that because we don't like that. Our image of idolatry is someone who's bowing down in front of a statue and they're worshipping something that's crazy and we're like, look and go, man, that's nuts and crazy. But that could be the picture of our lives. Think about this. Go to your home today and put your back up against your TV and notice how your whole room is positioned. Your whole room is positioned around that idol that we call a TV. Now, I'm not preaching against TV. I love TV. But you know what? TV doesn't have me. And that's what we've got to be careful because the world wants to claim us, to have us, and that's called idolatry. I want to read the story again of Daniel going a step further today. We're actually going to be reading the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some people have asked this question before, so let me just answer it. Where was Daniel? 
How come he didn't stand? How come only three stood? Where was Daniel? Did he bow with everyone else? What they believe is this, that Daniel was handling the affairs of the king in a foreign country or a foreign away place. And that's why he wasn't here during these times. Because I'm telling you, what we read of Daniel, there would have been four men standing and there would have been five men that would have appeared in the fire. Amen. So let's read the story, if we can, of Daniel chapter 3. And verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together all the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judge, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, incidentally of himself, remember. So all the governors, all the leaders, they all came together to worship or see the king or the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had stood. And they stood before the image. Verse 4, Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages. That at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship. Say with me, worship. The golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has made. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 7. So at that time when the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the symphony and all kinds of music, all the people of all nations and all languages fell down and worshipped the golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and they accused the Jews and they spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar saying, O king, live forever. Did you not make a decree that everyone, when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, they shall fall down and worship the golden image? And did you not say, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace? Oh, you did say that. I thought you did. That's what you said, yeah? Well, there are actually three men. There are certain Jews who you have set over the affairs of your province of Babylon. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. And they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow, you could preach so many parts from that passage. I think it's pretty interesting to see that when it says that when the music played, everyone from every nation and every language bowed. Something about music, it bridged the language gap. You you don't always have to understand what has been said because you can feel it. You can sense that music. That's what music is and that's what we've got to realize. Music is such a powerful tool. And the images and everything that it brings with it. So when the music plays, fall down and worship. All but three people did. Three men made a stand. And as a result of their stand, they got noticed. Now it wasn't a good notice because now they're in front of the king and they're going to be in trouble for what they have refused to do. I'm telling you right now, when you make a stand today, we can feel like we're a fool. We can feel like we're the only... Do you ever feel like you're the only one standing at your workplace? Do you ever feel like you're the only one standing at your school? Do you ever feel like in in the car line and, and at the school functions and stuff as you're talking with other parents, you're the only one that feels like 
You're not bowing and doing everything else that others are doing. And we can be intimidated by that, by the enemy, to the point of what? You just need to bow and just blend in with everyone else. But you know what's so important about your stand? Is people are going to see. People are going to see. Because I'm telling you right now, you know that girl at work? She ain't going to go to Susie Gossip when she's got problems. She's going to come and find you. Listen, I noticed there's something different. She's not going to come when there's a crowd around. But when you're on your own, she may say, listen, I'm going through some hard times. Could you just pray for me? I'm telling you right now, people notice your stand. Why? Because you have the answer that they are looking for. And that's why it's so important that we must stand today. That's why I believe the gospel message can shine brighter today than any other time because there's perhaps never been a darker time in history than there is now. But one light can make a whole world of difference. And that's why it's so important to stand. But the enemy knows that. You see, the enemy knows that you and I were created for worship. God created us. We're going to see that a little bit later, how God created us to be instruments of worship to him. So if Satan knows that you're created to worship something, he's going to do everything within his power to steal your worship. You see, that's what he did from the beginning. He stole worship. We think of Satan right now with his red pajama suit, his, his pointy tail and his pitchfork and his horns. That's not who Satan really is. In fact, look what the Bible says of Satan, the devil, because he was known as Lucifer. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this, but I'm not surprised that even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. For what reason? That's how he was created. He was created beautiful, magnificent, absolutely incredible. But yet because of sin, because of all the choices that he has made, Now we see an image that is different, but yet he can appear to still be that angel of light. And today I want to look really briefly at his background because I believe it will help us to gain understanding about worship and how he sees it, the enemy, and how we need to see it as children of God. We actually talked more about this in a series at the beginning of this year called Why We Do What We Do. Remember that? Pillars of Our Faith. We talked about why do we worship and you can check that out. It's still on the podcast on our website. But when God created angelic beings, he created what is called three archangels. They are what's known as ruling angels. The first one that we see in the word of God was Michael. Michael is the warring. Anytime there is a battle, a struggle, Michael is the one that we see that stands and leads the armies almost of heaven. But when we see him come, he comes in response to prayer. As Daniel prays, Michael comes. So we see that Michael is the one that is warring over as we begin to pray. Because I'm telling you, we do battle when we pray. Amen. We're pulling down principalities and powers when we begin to pray. Then we see Gabriel. We know Gabriel from the Christmas story that he appears to Mary. And he tells her, you're going to have a son, but I don't know a man, but the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And that which is conceived, he speaks what the word of God. So he's the word. But then there was another archangel called Lucifer, who was the worship leader. Prayer, word and worship that makes up the components in heaven. And what we see of Lucifer is this, Isaiah 14, 12 and 14. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. You are the sun of the morning. You are the bright star. Come on. You are the angel of light. 
But now you are cut down to the ground, you who have weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. What have we just read? It's the account of Satan's fall from his position of worship leader in heaven. He was the worship leader of heaven. Now I know in this passage it actually addresses as the king of Babylon. But what it's in reference to is identification of the spirit behind his actions. It's like when Jesus looks at Peter and, and, and he's talking about how he's going to be crucified. And Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus wasn't calling Peter Satan, but he was identifying the spirit behind what he said. So don't just read this and say, oh, no, that's not Satan. It is. It's the spirit behind what's being said. And he's now trying to redirect worship because he's the one that's leading the choirs of heaven in praise and in chorus to God. But now he decides that he's going to redirect that. And in that passage, we see five I will statements. I will ascend. I will raise. I will enthrone. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. And he even tries to get Jesus to do this in the temptations when Jesus is in the wilderness. Look what it says in Matthew 4 verse 9. And Satan came to Jesus and said, all these things I will give to you. If what? You'll just fall down and worship. He tried to steal it from God. He's now trying to steal it from Jesus. He's going to try and steal it from you. And he does every day. Let me back up one verse from Isaiah, Isaiah 14, verse 11. Your pomp is brought down to shoal and the sounds of your stringed instruments, stringed instruments. Jump to Ezekiel 28, 12 through 13. You were the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamonds, the beryls, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emeralds were gold. The workmanships of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. Note, you were created. He's a created being. He wants you to think he's all powerful, but he is a created being. But how is he created? Total bling bling. Come on, total bling bling. He is covered in every precious stone that you can imagine. And these ain't fake. These are real. Because he is created to stand in front of the creator of this world. God has created something so beautiful to look at, but not just so beautiful to look at, but something so beautiful to hear and to be around. Why? Because notice he's not just beauty in his looks, but God has created him to be an instrument of music because he's created with timbrels and pipes. Isaiah adds, as we read, and strings. What do we know about musical instruments today? Musical instruments can be put into three groupings, and here they are. There's that which are strings. That's the guitars. You pluck a string, and there's a sound that comes out. Then there's the percussion. The percussion is anything you hit, like a cymbal, like a drum. That's percussion. And then there's wind. That's the trumpet. That's saxophones. That's flutes. That when a wind is blown into them, there is a sound that comes. Read on verse 14 of Ezekiel 28. You were the anointed cherub who covers. God says, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. 
You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the days you were created till iniquity was found in you. The progression, perfect, awesome, incredible, beautiful, wonderful. Everything in your life was great. You were created to be worship. Not just lead worship, but to be worship. But something happened. Pride entered his heart. We'll be talking about pride in the next couple of weeks, probably next week. It's not a one you need to miss. You need to be here. Why can I give it when I can have it? Why should I give it, he said, when I can take it and I can have it? Verse 16, by the abundance of your trading, say with me, exchanged worship. That's what it's talking about. You've traded what you were called, created to be. You've exchanged that now. And as a result of your worship now, not coming to me. Notice what immediately happens to something that's so beautiful, so incredible, so wonderful, and so marvelous. Now you become filled with violence within and sin. I'm telling you, there's something so powerful to worship. That when our worship leaves its place where it needs to be, Something else happens to us. Therefore, God says, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. There wasn't a struggle. God just, boom, flicked him out and he was gone. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Look at me. Look who I am. Look how great I am. What we see there is the fall of Lucifer. That's where he became the devil. That's where he became twisted in his ways. That's when he became deceptive and he became our arch enemy. Because up to that time, he was leading the chorus of heaven. But now his goal is to destroy anything and everything that has the image of God. He knows he can't touch God, but he'll touch us, the closest thing to the heart of God. And one tool that he still uses today is music. One of the greatest tools. It's amazing when you think about it, nearly everything that the enemy uses as a tool against us, music is attached to it. (laughs) Alcoholism, most people drink. Why? Because of the music, the the surroundings, the atmosphere that they're in. I know someone that would say, man, I can't even listen to that kind of music because if I do, I just want to drink because that's my drinking music. That was what, there's a spirit, there's something that draws you into that. Addictions, you know, the kind of stuff that you would shoot up with your friends, that music that would draw you in. Promiscuity, come on. All these things are influenced by the music and the world that we live in. Suicide. A lot of people are getting so depressed. We laughed about it in the first service. If you're depressed, it's probably not good to listen to a lot of country music. Because if you're depressed, you don't want to hear about someone's truck breaking down and their dog dying and their wife running away and them having nothing. That's not going to leave you in a very good state. But music has a power to it. Destruction. Lying, cheating. Telling you, you are what you worship. Anyone remember Littleton, Colorado? Colorbine High School? Remember when those young men walked into that school and gunned down their classmates and teachers? One of the big things that came out with that was the music that they were listening to. They were into Marilyn Manson. They were listening to all that. And it was just all these things that they were polluting their mind to. And it caused them to act in a way that they never thought they would do. I'm telling you right now, 
Music is not just music. You've got to see what's behind it. You've got to see what's being worshipped by what you hear. Because Satan was an instrument. Satan is an instrument of music. So now he's no longer in charge of worship. So obviously there's a vacancy in heaven. No, God's filled that vacancy. And God filled that vacancy with you know who? You. You and I are now called to be the worship leaders of heaven. Why? Because when God created us, he created us with instruments too. You know, in every one of us, there's strings. That's called our vocal cords. They're what vibrate backwards and forwards so a sound can come out of our mouth. You know what else? God gave us percussion. Come on, you can put those hands together and you can clap and you can stomp those feet. You are a percussionist. Come on, what else? God gave you wind. Yeah, we know that. No, we're not talking about that kind of wind. We're talking about that one our breath. We can speak out. And when we do, words can come out. People can hear us. Come on, we are created to be an instrument of praise to God. But the enemy wants us to worship anything else but God. Back to the story, Daniel 3, 16 and 18. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they answered and said to the king, Now they've been brought before the king. They're now given a second chance. He said, when the music plays, you bow down, it's going to be okay. And if not, then I don't know who your God is going to be who's going to deliver you because I'm in charge here. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves because if that is the case, If you are going to throw us in the fire, if you're really going to do what you say you're going to do, listen, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hands, O king. But there's verse 18. Are you ready? But if not. Wow. But if not. You see, we don't like the but if nots. We want the deliverance. We want the freedom. We want the breakthroughs. We want the miracles. Need to listen to last week's message. Remember all those struggles and tests are an opportunity for growth in your life. That God's using those. But we don't like those. But they understood that there was the other side. And they said, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship. Say with me, worship. We will not worship the golden image which you have set up. In other words, King, give us every chance that you want. We won't bow even if God doesn't come through for us. Even if we don't see the miraculous deliverance of God from your hand. What we know is this, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So even if we're taken, we know where we're going. So King, you can't touch us. You're probably just doing us a favor because we're going there a little bit quicker. Come on, they trusted God to rescue them. And even if he didn't, they still would not regret their decision. Listen to me today. You can't decide that on the fly. You you can't wait before the king to be given a private audience and the music's going to play and I'm going to give you another chance because the world wants to give you every chance. But you've got to be prepared to know what's going to happen before it happens, if that makes sense. Come on, you've you got to know your stance. You've got to know your core beliefs. You've got to know your identity, who you are in Christ. That's not who I am. Come on, the world can call me whatever it wants, but I don't have to answer to that. Come on, I've got to know my identity. 
I've got to be determined that I'm not going to conform to this world. Oh, I'm going to go through some testing, but it's because God wants you. You see, they had to know all this thing. I, I, I've preached this message before. They had to be qualified to go through the fire. Think about that. They had to be qualified because not anyone could have gone through that fire. Their stand, their faith, their belief was what caused them to be standing in front of that fiery furnace. But they had laid the foundation before. They had settled their beliefs. And they had allowed God to strengthen their faith to the point of, let it be known that even if God does not come through, we're not going to bow. We're not going to worship. Listen to me. We are what we worship. You are what you worship. So what is worship, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. You see, worship is more than expression. We sang songs today. We lifted our hands. We praised. We clapped. We sang. We danced. All scriptural things and what we should do when we worship. But worship is more than just an expression. That's why many people get hung up in it because they think, I can't worship God like that. Worship is not like that. Worship is a heart issue. So what really is worship? Worship is our response to what we value the most. What do you value the most in your life? Whether unconsciously or consciously, we often allow our culture around us to determine what we value the most. Instead of knowing and standing, we get drawn in to what everyone else is doing and then that becomes our life. You may say, well, pastor, how does that look? How, how does that worship? Here's what you need to do. Are you ready? Follow the trail of your time, your affections, your energy, your money, and your loyalty. And they will lead you to the truth of what you worship. Follow the trail of your time. Affections, energy, money and loyalties. And those things will lead you to the truth of really what you worship. Because every one of us has an altar. Maybe not a pagan shrine like we think in our house and it's built. But every one of us has something that is dethroning perhaps the place of God and taking the place. No other creation was created except mankind in the image and likeness of God for what reason? To give glory and honor to Him. Look at the statement. You will never be satisfied, empowered for your purpose or fulfilled in your life as long as you worship anything other than God. All these notes, by the way, are on you version. You need to follow on that so you can get our notes every service. Oh, but pastor, I'm satisfied. Oh, I'm fulfilled. I I, I feel empowered, maybe to a part. But you will never be fully fulfilled, empowered, or what you need to be when you're worshipping anything else other than God. In Romans chapter 1, we actually see where man came from. We, We see kind of the progression That man serving God, living for God, and then by the end we see that they're doing things that they have no business to do. They know they're wrong, but yet they're choosing to do them anyway. And we see the the fall almost of man in one chapter. We see how the Bible says that they were given over to their vile passions and to the things that were wrong against nature and against what God created them to be. And in the middle we see this verse and here's the reason why. Here's the hinge that swung them the wrong way. Romans 1, 21, because although they knew God, 
They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They knew of God, but they did not worship him. Catch that. They did not worship him as God. And because something else now took their worship, notice again what happened. The picture that we saw with Satan. He was perfect and beautiful, but as soon as he exchanged his worship, His life was changed and it's the same with us because the Bible says when we worship anything other than God first, we will become futile. They became futile in their thoughts. That word means useless and confused. My God, are we in a confused place today? Our culture is confused. What do we believe? What do we want? It's confusing all around us. No one is standing for anything anymore. And their foolish hearts were darkened. All because of what? A change of worship. I'm telling you right now, worship is so important because you are what you worship. Paul says they worship the creation instead of the creator. When we attach ourselves to anything other than God for the ultimate meaning in our lives, it's idolatry. We probably all know the addictions and the wrong things and the areas that we shouldn't attach our lives to. But there's also good things in the wrong order that can still be something that steals our worship. You know our family can steal our worship from God? You know our work can steal our worship? You know the church can steal our worship? All those things are so important. And all those things are so right, but they're only right in the right order. Because when I put my family before God, my work before God, my church before God. Then it becomes an idol. And even though it may be something important and good in my life, if it's before God, listen to me, it's still idolatry. Still idolatry. Worship to God has to be our go-to move. We learned that last week. That's where we ended off. It's not a natural response many times when bad news comes to throw your hand in the air and say, thank you, Jesus. But something happens when we begin to worship God. Worship does not erase the grief of the moment. Worship doesn't change the news. But it brings an overriding peace, a peace that you will not find any other way. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. Okay, how? Here, in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanks given. That's painting a picture of worship. I'm not looking at my problems, I'm looking at God. Because now I'm coming to Him to make my request known to God. And then the answer comes straight away. The miracle, the breakthrough comes straight away. Not as we think it does, but the answer does come straight away. Because we see in verse 7, and the peace of God that goes beyond everything that we can understand, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As I worship Him, my answer comes. Because it's in the form of a peace that's going to bring me through the darkest, most trying storms of my life. And that's why all of hell wants you to worship anything other than God. I believe one of the greatest decisions that we can make as we see the cultural shift around us is this. Who will we serve and who we will not serve? Who am I going to serve? But who needs to go off my do not serve list? Come on, who will I serve but who will I not serve? Can I give you some key points to worship today? Point number one, worship restores our perspective. 
so easy to see the problems and the darkness and the pain because we face them every day. It's so easy to see those things as being so big. But I'm telling you right now, listen to the statement, worship changes everything when everything stays the same around me. Let me say that again. Worship changes everything when everything around me stays the same. Hold on a second. Worship changes everything, but nothing changes. Well, nothing may have changed around me, but something changes within me. Come on, I said something changes inside of me. Because as I begin to worship through my struggles and my problems, I now no longer see my problems as big as they are, but now I see the greatness of my God. I begin to see how big and how great God is. And can I tell you how big and great God is? Isaiah 66 verse 1. Are you ready? God says this, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. That's a big God right there. Come on, he's sitting on heaven and he's got his feet crossed over the earth. That's how big. Oh, that's not how big. Trust me. That's how big your God is. He's a big God. But the problem is the reason why we don't think that is because we don't allow him to be big. And that's why we've got to worship him. We need to acknowledge that he's God and that we're the creation. But culture wants to continually try to erode that truth about God and place The power of God in human hands. What do I mean by that? The world tells us today, you don't need a God, you're your own God. You just do what you want. If it feels good, then just do it. What is that saying? Just be your own God. You decide. As long as you're happy, then it's okay. Obviously, be your own God. Listen to me. God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. Come on, God desires your holiness, not your happiness. Worship says what? I now see God in his true perspective. Second thing about worship, are you ready? Worship produces action. You can never worship and stay where you're at. You you can never truly worship God and just be stuck. Because when you worship God, you tap into the courage of God. His courage causes you to be courageous. And what does someone who's courageous do? You're going to go out and you're going to do things and you're going to make things happen. Come on, you can be depressed and down, but you begin to worship God. And you can find the energy to take that step and to do. Why? Because it produces something in your life. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed... The place they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This is a separate account to Acts chapter 2. That's when the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with other tongues. But what we see in Acts chapter 4 is they were persecuted for their stand. They were persecuted for their faith. They were beaten for what they were standing up for. And they said, God, we need a greater boldness in our life. And they prayed that God would give that to them. And God gave it to them. And they went about and they talked and they witnessed and they spread the gospel. Even through persecution, there was a boldness. You see, when you begin to worship, no matter what happens on the outside, something grabs a hold of your inside that causes a new action to take place. Hebrews 10, 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence that has great reward. Come on, the key to courage, the key to confidence always comes back to spending time with Jesus. I like this. Look at this statement. Courage looks up, stands up, and speaks out. In other words, worship produces 
action. Number three, worship trusts God even when I don't understand. Oh man, Pastor, I was kind of enjoying your message up to this point. (laughs) Worship trusts God even when we don't understand. Have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. It's hard to see the good in the situation right now. It's hard to see God in the situation right now. Especially when the enemy comes and tries to show you everything else that's not God. I read this a couple of weeks ago and I jotted this down. I I write a lot of things down when I see things. It's something that I knew I was going to have to come back to in my own life. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded of this, and I want to read it to you. This is something I got from a devotion. Our word for today that we give out to you, by the way, this came from, listen to this. The longer that you walk with God, the less you know about why he leads as he does. But you'll know with assurance that he does lead you. Let me try and say it another way. The longer that you live with God, the more you'll realize how little you do really understand. And how little you really do know and you can't figure it out. And you think, right, God, we're tight now, so I'm going to figure it out. And then you kind of still can't figure it out. But don't worry about trying to figure it all out. What you've got to do is you've got to hold on to the assurance that God is leading you. I'm at a place in my life right now where I I don't understand everything. And think about it. You don't understand your things, but... As a pastor, I'm privy to know a lot of other things that people are going through. So in this room, you've maybe got your two things, but maybe I've got 50 things that I'm holding because I'm dealing with all these people who have all these things they don't understand. There's the ability in our lives, if we don't, to say, man, just give up. It's no point. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't always get it when I have to look at parents and say, your son is gone. I don't always get that. But one thing I do get is this, that I've got the assurance that he's still leading me, that he is still there with me. I don't like that, but I've got to keep trusting him. Why do I say that? Because back to the story, they were thrown in the fire. Daniel 3.20, and he commanded the king, certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. That probably wasn't what they were expecting. How do I know that? Because if that's me, I would have been really disappointed. Just being honest. I'm making a stand for God. And I'm saying, hey, he's real God and he's going to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. Okay, God, now. Now. Anytime now. And I'm in a fire. You see, we've got to watch that our expectancy that doesn't always come as we expect doesn't become that which gauges whether God loves me or not. Because we can expect things and when it doesn't happen, we're disappointed. And who we're disappointed at God, so what do we do? Stop loving God. You've got to watch because we don't need to live with expectancy. We need to live prepared. Prepared says no matter what happens, I'm going to keep trusting God. No matter what, I'm going to trust God. True worship happens, listen to me, when you don't understand, but yet you get to trust Him anyway. 
that you still acknowledge His goodness, His power, His sovereignty, even amidst situations that defy all rational human explanation. Let me say it this way. It's on the screen already. You have to trust that God didn't get it wrong, even when you cannot figure it out. You better be glad you can't figure it out. Because that means He's God. Because his ways are higher and greater and mightier. If I can figure him out, then, then he's me. And the biggest problem I have is not the devil, Seth. The biggest problem I have is me. So I've got to be careful because I want him to figure it out. But then I'm trying to shrink him down to me. Do you see? I've got to worship him for who he is. And that's sometimes when I don't understand. But I've still got to trust him. Because he's greater. Because you see, I don't have to understand to still love him, to worship him and to serve him. Almost done. Point number four. Are you with me today? Worship welcomes his presence. It invites him into this world. What do we know about God's presence? It's everywhere. God is everywhere. But God is not welcomed everywhere. Big difference. I said big difference. He is everywhere, but he's not welcomed. Worship welcomes him. Worship invites him. Daniel 3, 24, 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not throw three men bound, say with me, bound, into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, O king, true. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, say with me, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God, I I don't know why you didn't deliver me. You know why God didn't deliver you? Because he's in the fire with you. Come on, he is in the fire with you. I I love that about God. We think, man, you've forgotten me and you let me down. Just look around you. God's right there with you. Remember the men on the road to Emmaus? They'd seen Jesus crucified. They were defeated. But yet someone was walking with them and they didn't even know who it was. In your darkest times, he's still right there with us. That's why David writes in Psalms 23 verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid. Why? Because you're with me. Oh God, get me out. God says, no, something greater. I'm with you. I'm greater. Remember Peter in the midst of a storm? It wasn't looking good, but he says, I don't want to be in this boat if you're not there. I want to be where you're at. Bid me to come. And he walked on the water to Jesus. That's the life that I want to live. God, I want to be where you are. I want to welcome your presence into my life. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. David knew this in Psalms 139 as he pens, wherever I go, I cannot escape your presence. Worship invites him into our need. Worship invites him into your fire that you're going through right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I'm praising God today and I've got some things in my life that God still needs to do. But I'm worshipping Him today because I'm inviting Him into my need, into my life. Last point today, you ready? Worship brings victory. Only two things burnt up that day. Number one, the men who threw them into the fire. And why would you say that, Pastor? Because I'm telling you right now, some people have come against you. And what you need to realize is this, God's going to take care of his own. Now, I don't mean that God's going to kill them because that's not what we pray. The Bible says how we pray. We pray for God to save them. We pray for those who despitefully use us. God's going to take care of them and we pray he's going to save them. But if he doesn't, whatever he chooses to do, I'm giving that to God. But we see they were destroyed. 
And the second thing that was destroyed was the ropes that held them bound. Because we hear Nebuchadnezzar say, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire and not one of them is hurt. Look at this statement. What the enemy purposes for your destruction can become your place of greatest victory through worship. The enemy wants to bind you and say, now what are you going to do? But I'm telling you, God uses the fire to burn up those things that the enemy wants to put upon us so we can be free. We can look and say, God, do it another way. But don't question God's way. Just trust him. Just trust him. Just trust him. Haven't got time. Second Chronicles, read it yourself, 20. There was a problem they had. And as they began to worship, we see that God said, send the singers, send the musicians. Singers and musicians, you can come back. God says, send them out. And when they went forth and they began to proclaim, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Next slide. Go to the next one. Look at the end of verse 22. It says this. They were defeated. The enemy will be defeated when we begin to praise. Look at me. I'm almost done today. When we trust God, when we worship God, That still means that we're going to have to wrestle heartache and pain. It still means that we're going to go through loss and disappointments in our lives that accompany so many painful emotions and thoughts. But what will we worship? I went to a service, a funeral service, a couple of weeks ago of a young man I knew very well, Steve Ware. He's the children's pastor at Healing Place Church for many years. A great guy. Cancer took his life. Let me rephrase that. Cancer didn't take his life. Because he refused to allow cancer to take his life. 35 years of age, widowed a wife and three beautiful children. During his service, he knew his life was short and he actually videoed and filmed the messages of him speaking to the crowd. It's incredible. I've never been like it in my life. He preached his own funeral. Preached his own funeral. One of the things that he said that day impacted me so much because someone was talking about faith. And faith is believing that God's going to do it no matter what. And that is. But he said there's another dimension that you've got to understand about faith, and that is this. Listen to me. He handles the outcome. But you're responsible for the outlook. You see, the problem is when we try to be God and we handle the outcome, we figure out what needs to happen. And when it doesn't happen like we think, We get really angry and we get disillusioned because why? We try to put ourselves in a place that's not ours to have. We try to be God. But our responsibility is not what He does. Our responsibility is what we do. Our responsibility is in our outlook. Will we keep praising Him? Will we keep worshiping Him? Will we keep thanking Him? Why? Because we've still got to believe 
through the toughest times that he's still all powerful, he's still almighty and he's still everywhere present. Will you trust him? Will you worship him? Because I'm telling you right now, there's always someone or something that's going to try to derail your faith and something or someone that's going to compete for your worship. Would you bow your heads all over this place?